Hello and welcome to the Board Shorts podcast brought to you by Get On Board Australia, the destination for new and aspiring board members and company directors. This podcast is called Board Shorts because boards and governance can sometimes be a dry topic. So I'm bringing you valuable, easy to digest information on board and company director related topics, concepts and ideas in 30 minutes or less. Whether you're looking to join a board or thrive in the boardroom, this podcast is designed just for you. My name is Lisa Cook and I'm your host. As founder and managing director of Get On Board Australia, I hope to make this podcast and the information I share valuable and useful to new and aspiring company directors and board members like you. My conversation today is with Bobby Herrera, and it's a little bit of a different angle than the usual governance, risk and business conversations that you've come to know. I'm not sure if you've felt it, but I have certainly been feeling and noticing kind of like a mood or appetite or even both for the more human side to businesses and boards. And where I think this is coming from is the global pandemic and that it's had kind of this interesting effect on our psyche. In a strange way, being physically distanced from each other has made us, I think, recognize and appreciate the human connections that we do have when we actually come together in person. And particularly as boards have shifted to uh, virtual board meetings, the value of what I call the human element in the boardroom and amongst the board itself, which was previously taken for granted unintentionally, is being recognised as something that is of value to a board, to its board members and to the organisation as a whole. Working well as a group of humans takes investment and intention. My conversation with Bobby today takes us on a journey from how our personal struggles influence our leadership and how it can support the organisation, how trust builds value and one must precede the other and how bringing vulnerability into the boardroom can actually enhance yours and the board's performance. It's true. So as you listen to today's episode, I encourage you to reflect on your leadership and your style of leadership, both inside and outside the boardroom and how you might be able to leverage the gift of struggle. Bobby, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Hell, the underdogs, Lisa. Great to be with you. <laughs> but I did want to start the conversation around uh, your belief that everyone has has struggles, and business leaders are no exception. Your passion is helping others understand how their individual struggles can help them connect with their communities and inspire others, and that is what will transform their leadership style. How does struggle make someone a good leader? Great question. Um, well, it took me a while to figure that out, like everything else in leadership. I, anecdotally, I think that um, 
you know, we all have to go through struggle, pain, and suffering to get to that wisdom that we desire. Mm-hmm. And I'll often say that like the long way is a shortcut. Like that's the only way that you're going to get to that wisdom. And as a business leader, uh, my leadership philosophy is relatively simple and straightforward in that we all struggle, mm-hmm. but every struggle teaches us something. That's the gift. And leadership is sharing those gifts with others. And once you get to that place, uh, then you can do it with generosity and compassion and give people the benefit of the doubt. And that's really what business leaders not only need from others, but need to give the others. Mm-hmm. So is struggle in the eye of the beholder or like, do you, does it have to be really outrageous struggle or can it be something sort of in, on a smaller scale? Do you mm-hmm. see that there's any sort of difference there? Uh, I do. And I love this question because, uh, you know, there's a technical definition of struggle, mm-hmm. right? Some difficulty or resistance, an obstacle that you need to get through. And often we associate struggle with the economic hardship. Mm-hmm. And those are real struggles. Um, and we all experience those to varying degrees. The struggle that I refer to, though, often, specifically when it comes to leadership, is that pain that we feel inside, that self-doubt, that narrative Mm. where we question whether or not we have what it takes to get to that place that that we desire. And like that's painful, having to overcome that. And it's situational for all of us. But um, yeah, that's it is uh, unique and personal to us all. However, what is universal is that we all struggle. Absolutely. And that what you just said is that the struggle that people go through when they want to try and achieve something, feel like they can't, is something that I deal with all the time with people who aspire to get into the boardroom. The question of, well, why me? What do I even have to offer? So what would you sort of suggest to someone who's in that struggling mindset to, I don't know, can you get over it or do you just have to kind of work with it, set it aside and pursue what you're trying to pursue until you kind of get there and and that sort of overcomes the struggle? Well, here's, um, here's my observation. If leading with compassion, generosity, and in an authentic manner, if that's important to someone, what I'll often do is I'll encourage that leader, like go back to the beginning, mm-hmm. like do a real simple exercise, take out a blank sheet of paper and start writing down your most significant struggles, like maybe one through five or whatever. And on the left side of that paper, write down those struggles and then draw a line through the middle of that paper and to the right of it, write down the gift. Like what did that struggle teach you? Mm. And it's a very therapeutic mm. exercise for some foremost. But mm-hmm. second of all, I found that you know, anyone that, whether they are narrating the story of building their company or they've been there, done that per se, and now they want to move forward to another chapter to you know, give in the boardroom, those people that they're going to guide, they can also, they, they have a similar exercise that, that they're going to do of their own struggles and yours should be able to teach them something. So, yeah, I just believe that often 
we tend to overcomplicate mm-hmm. the wisdom that we we have because we get caught up in the technical aspects of leadership. Yeah. No. The most important parts of leadership are those lessons that life has taught you, where you build trust, where you build humanity. That's what leaders really need from those guiding them uh, in the boardroom. And if you know how to do that, you can really help someone build something that they're trying to build. Absolutely. And I have a few questions going through my mind. Just in a a practical way, a lot of people don't tend to not want to sort of admit that they're struggling or, or sort of show that side of themselves, particularly when, when they're either aiming for the boardroom or they're in the boardroom, they feel like they have to put on this facade. Mm -hmm. What would you recommend someone who's feeling like that could do to start sort of bringing in a little bit of vulnerability, which we're hearing more and more of to incorporate into our leadership what would you recommend they do to sort of start breaking down those those walls that they might have put up? Yeah, so in other words, they've yet to figure out that vulnerability is a key competency of leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's hard. I get it. You know, I um, for the first 10 years of starting my company, Lisa, I I had yet to dispel the alpha myth that I always had to have my stuff together. Yeah. And I bought into it. And... I finally mustered up the courage to tell the story that gave me purpose, that gave me meaning. It's chapter one of, uh, of The Gift of Struggle, the book that I wrote, The Bus Story. But that's 10 years into building my company. Like wow. It was the invisible force that's driving me. Mm-hmm. But the only people that knew it was my wife <clears throat> and my brother who had experienced a story with me. Right, yes. Outside of that, I had this large organization that had no idea. My board didn't even know it. Well, I finally mustered up the courage to tell that story. And once I did, it changed everything for me. Mm. And I often say that that is what started the transformation from a company to a community. Mm. And I reference that as context because if building something special that feels more like a community that's connected to something bigger than themselves, then you'll find the courage to learn the power of vulnerability. Right. If that's not important to you, then you know what? Keep believing the alpha myth. Yes. Uh, but you get to choose. Uh, but I do get how hard that is. Uh, and again, I'll take you back to that leadership philosophy that I have is there's not a person on the planet that hasn't struggled, that isn't afraid of something. And we're taught all our life to smother it, to not talk about it, to act like you know we have all our stuff together. That's just wrong. At some yeah. point in time, we got to get over it. Yeah, exactly. So how did you, I mean, what was the catalyst or what was the thing that, that either gave you the confidence or just made you go, you know, I'm just going to share this story now, Mm -hmm. the bus story, which we'll link to because there's a YouTube video link in the show notes, because it's such a beautiful story. What, what gave you that confidence Mm -hmm. to share that and, and bring that to the light? Well, you know, I wish I could tell you this wonderful, sexy story about me finally, you know, putting on my knight's armor and going out and telling the story, but it was nothing like that. It was an accident. Right. Uh, I was filming a video to codify our culture for my uh, community's culture code. And I'm not an off the script kind of guy. And, you know, my team had helped me script it together and put it all together. And I finally get to the day where I'm filming it. 
and this quiet guy named Ben that had helped me with some other projects. Um, as we get started, I just take the script and I said, Ben, I can't do this. It's like, this isn't me. And so he said, you know what, let's just talk. And the camera was still rolling. And he asked me a simple question. He said, hey, Bobby, you believe that everyone deserves an opportunity to succeed. Like, why do you believe that? And I mm. told him the bus story. Mm. And unrehearsed, camera was rolling. Wow. But I felt like this massive silverback gorilla had just jumped off my back after I told that story. Wow. And a few days, you know, a few, you know, after he finished it all up, put the video together, not long after that, uh, my whole company saw it. And that's the first time they had heard the bus story. Wow. And it was magical. And, you know, the narrative that I told myself was like, they don't need to hear it. They don't want to hear it. It's not important. And I, I was wrong. Yeah. It helped them understand me. It humanized me. Yes. And it also created uh, this connection between us where they're like, oh, now I get what he's trying to build. Right. Because prior to that, I was just this intense entrepreneur that, you know, they knew I cared and wanted to do something, but absent of me telling that story, they were making up their own. Yeah, absolutely. So. You just, and you just gave me an aha moment because even from my own board career, the moments that I've had to connect with my fellow board members and share a little bit about my story and why I'm here and what I'm hoping to achieve and, and really where I come from when I, when I ask the questions that I ask and what I'm trying to do, because you do, you come across as this real sort of hard nosed person striving to achieve something. And if you, if you don't share that why or where that's coming from, mm -hmm. then people are going to make up their own story. And usually that's not the story we want to have told about us. Yeah, it's um, usually not the good story. <laughs> absolutely, 100% agree with that. Um, so uh, I think that's just testament to to share the story just for that reason. It, it brings you closer to the people that you're sharing that board table with. It helps them understand where your intentions are coming from and what's motivating you, which I think just adds to that whole team element within the boardroom, which I think um, <clears throat> leads into my next question then. If we think about the board as a team, um, it's always interesting to me that when I hear about boards that are having problems or having issues, rarely is it about the quote-unquote governance work that they're doing. It's about the people stuff. It's mm -hmm. about the interpersonal relationships and dealing with all of those different personalities and trying to get everyone together working at the same rate in the same direction. So a lot of boards struggle with that. And when you think boards are like leaders of leaders within organizations, why do you think they struggle so much with that people slash human side of being on a board? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, it's interesting because it's very uh, similar to the narratives we tell ourselves about struggle. Mm -hmm. uh, like nobody wants to hear it. Uh, we're taught not to talk about it. Well, in business for far too long, we've redirected energy to what I call the sexy side 
of business. Yes. You know, all the big words, the strategy and, yeah. <laughs> you know, marketing, all that fancy stuff, mm-hmm. right? But to your point, it's usually on the other side that, you know, where meaningful discussions and relationships happen, that's, you know, I think in most cases, unintentionally overlooked. Mm-hmm. But a great board, a great team will have the courage to raise their hand and say, um, you know, the single most important asset we're going to have as a unit here is the level of trust that we have. Mm-hmm. And right now, I don't feel like it's at the level that it should be because mm-hmm. we're not talking about this, this, this. I mean, you have to talk about the hard stuff. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, you don't trust this person and this person doesn't trust you. What narrative are you telling? What narrative are you telling? And, you know, better questions around the stuff that matters expose better answers, which ultimately Mm -hmm. exposes the truth, right? Uh, I mean, I think that's where the courage of a boardroom is tested. Yeah. Hey, are you asking meaningful questions and facilitating meaningful discussions around the things that are building trust, Mm. whether it be about the people Mm. or about the leaders? Because you can tell and you can feel it when things are out of sync. But you got to be able to raise your hand and say, um, you two, there's something going on. What is it? Yeah. And, you know, that's a part of the movie that I love when a grenade just goes boom. (laughs) Because that's when, you know, everybody sees it. Like, let's just talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. So why do we avoid that? Why why does everyone avoid the, the elephant in the room? Yeah, good question. Um, well, that may be situational uh, question, but uh, here, here's my very simple opinion. I believe that most people, if they knew a better way, would do it. Right. And so often when these types of conversations are avoided, I think it's a function of either they, 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 they don't know how, they won't, or they can't. Mm. And each one of those has an opportunity disguised therein, right? I believe most leaders genuinely want to, but they don't know how. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, in some cases, I mean, the reality is that some people, they just, they just don't want to. Yeah. And if that's the case, you know, maybe you're not a great fit for that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, there are some people that, you know, once you get in that situation, they haven't built the competency to say anything to anyone or, or know how to ask these wonderful, these questions, they're going to ultimately create the level of conflict that you need to get to the truth Mm. because there's no shortcut. You're going to go through some conflict. (laughs) You have to, people are deathly afraid of it. I know. You know, I have yet to see, at least in my, my observation, I've yet to see anyone die from a hard conversation. (laughs) But they certainly feel it. Yeah, exactly. And you get that knot, you know, I, I, you know, you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to wet my pants here. But like afterwards, I believe most people say, you know what, that wasn't as bad as I thought. Exactly. And I I was just having that conversation yesterday with someone um, about, uh, I was calling it constructive conflict, mm-hmm. which to me is like candor, but really having those mm-hmm. necessary but uncomfortable conversations. And mm-hmm. I think that there's a skill and an art to doing those well because you can end up damaging uh, mm-hmm. a lot of relationships. But 
you know, there's a lot written about that. I think uh, Susan Scott with her book Fierce Conversations Mm -hmm. is a great resource for people to, to check out if they're interested in that. But I wanted to kind of start talking now about um, vulnerability because I think that that is a really key element as well. If you if you bring a little bit of vulnerability mm-hmm. into um, into the boardroom, we'll talk about, and I think it allows you to have those sort of conversations that we're talking about. But how does someone bring vulnerability to their the, to their self leadership, and then what I see is the leadership of others in the boardroom and then leadership through the organization. Yeah, great question. Um, in my experience, uh, Lisa, sometimes these boardrooms have uh, a surplus of what I call ROE, um, return on ego. <laughs> in, Love that. <laughs> in, in, the, uh, in the air. And I mean, I think first and foremost, whoever's leading that boardroom has to make the message very simple and clear that there will be no ROE in this room. Mm. And number two, that the leadership chain is not the IQ chain. And so if, if you're going to participate as a contributing member of this team, you're going to have to be very uh, in line with the fact that we're going to ask questions. We're going to ask what are called dumb questions, don't understand the meaning and we're going to ask them in a respectful manner, but we're going to ask them real time and there will be no silent disagreement. Mm. And, you know, um, I've found that in most cases, those, those boundaries and those expectations are left unspoken and unaddressed. Therefore, like people don't know it's safe to do so. Mm. But then, you know, the leader, whoever the leader is of that boardroom, you know, people do what people see, right? Yeah. The more they see, you know, he or she doing it, the more safety is created. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Modeling the behavior that you want to see is, no is key. No you mentioned something there about them not talking about sort of what I see is sort of this, um, a lot of organizations, a lot of boards talk about values and we have our values, you know, listed mm-hmm. out. We have a nice plaque on the wall, but rarely do they then follow through from that and say, well, here are the actions and behaviors and attitudes and things like that, that we would expect to, that we believe align with the values that we say we have. Mm-hmm. Um, rarely does that conversation ever happen. They just said, hey, we got to act with integrity and it's up to everyone to determine what they think is acting with integrity and everyone's mm-hmm. got a different definition. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you think that people don't have that conversation where, where we talk about the values, but how we see them through behaviors and actions and attitudes and things like that? Why is that sort of the great unsaid? Well, I would go uh, a step further and say it's also the great untold Mm-hmm. So in other words, uh, something that I've done uh, as a member of a board or as I've observed, you know, an organization, whether I'm going to be an investor or whatever the case may be, uh, I will specifically go to what they say their values are. And I will go to the leader and I will, you know, whether they have, you know, a, a, a healthy cluster of three 
or a, too long of a list of 10, whatever that, that is. Um, I will go to them and I'll say, tell me the best story about this value. Mm. Oh, tell me your best story. And more often than not, I'll get that confused look. Mm. And that's my first sign that not only is it under communicated, but that story is not being told. Wow. And then I'll go to the next one. Tell me your best story about this one. Tell me your best story about this one. And on, so on, and so on. Right? And here's my point. Story is the best drug ever invented. And that's how we learn. It's how we mm. educate, how we connect, and how we inspire. And so as a leader, if you're not telling stories and telling them over and over and over again about the values and about how you live them and about how you missed on them, et cetera, then you are massively underserving your organization. And as a board, like that's a real simple exercise that I will often do before I say yes or no to a board, I'll go to their values and I'll say, hey, I wanna know the stories. And that oh. speaks volumes about how they're living them and how they're telling them. I would imagine that there would be not a lot of people that could share stories about their values no, or no. even even if you just quiz them off the cuff about what their values are. I, I, I doubt many would be able to say that. Um, that's so funny. Um, Lisa, therein lies an opportunity, if I may. You know, yes, And sir. the reason I do that is because as an organization, uh, as a leader or as a board, you know, we go back to that initial, the hard conversations. The, the reason I say that is because like, there's a real simple philosophy that I have the business. And that is you have to build trust before value. Mm -hmm. And often the conversations migrate to the value, right? All that yeah. sexy, fancy stuff. Yep. But if, you know, you got to build trust before value, value. It's not chronological. It's in parallel, but you have to do it in the right order. Mm. But too often there's a disproportionate amount focused on the value and not the trust, right? Absolutely. Because you think about it, you can have the best value in the world, but if you don't have this, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I say that. And you have to guide conversations. Values help build that trust. Yes. That's why I go there. Yes. I want to think about more the, the self. So each board member individually, I think, has a key role to play here and then everyone coming together and doing the same thing of course what can I do as an individual to help people trust me and yeah. to help build an environment and culture of trust within the boardroom so what are some of the actions behaviors whatever mindsets that I could bring into the boardroom as a board member to really help build that trust before we can build that value um, you know I'm a student of two wonderful uh, trust experts that I've become really good friends with. Uh, Stephen M. R. Covey, mm -hmm. he wrote The Speed of Trust. Mm -hmm. And then you have David Horsager, who wrote The Trust Edge. And these are two magnificent thought leaders on trust. And they both have different blueprints or whatever. But philosophically, it's the same. Like, there are pillars of trust building behaviors that we all know and that we learned as children. Mm -hmm. uh, like listening first, clarifying expectations, demonstrating respect, 
righting wrongs, uh, you know, being consistent, being clear because people don't trust the vague, right? All these trust building behaviors, I believe people know very intuitively. Well, here's where I see the opportunity. As a board member or, you know, a, a board in general, uh, there's not enough intentional focus on which trust building behaviors the organization does the best and which trust building behaviors are the biggest opportunities for them. And as a board member, you talk about those and you understand what they are, and then you can serve that organization by really helping them build trust around there. Uh, but that's that, in, in, that's that intentional part of that dialogue that mm. doesn't happen enough in these boardrooms, Lisa. So how would you suggest then that a board can start incorporating some of these conversations? Yeah, uh, well, let's, let's, let's pick one and maybe do a simple exercise around it, right? Sure. So, um, you know, a pillar of building trust is clarity, right? Yep. So let's just say, for example, a board was at a meeting and they had the leader of the organization and the executive team. Again, hypothetical exercise here, right? Well, I think we'd agree that one of the primary responsibilities of that executive team is to provide clear, a clear direction around the purpose and the, uh, the strategy of the organization, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know, do a simple exercise with each one of them, right? Have them all write down on a single, on a, on a sheet of paper, making sure they keep their eyes on their own paper mm -hmm. and say, hey, walk me through exactly what the purpose of the organization is in your own words. You have two sentences or less. Each of you write it down, right? And I've actually done this, right? Mm -hmm. Why does this organ, why does the organization exist? What is the purpose of the organization? And more often than not, they'll sit there, they'll look at their paper and they'll be tapping pencils, looking around like, hmm. And that's a litmus test. Wow. If they're not aligned on why the organization, on that clarity for the organization, do you think the rest of the organization's aligned? Nope. <laughs> there you go. There's an opportunity to build trust. So maybe as a board member, you're really good at helping people craft a clear, simple, palatable message. Mm. And that's a super important pillar for building trust in an organization. If, if, if you don't, then, you know, yeah. people are going to be vague about what the real story is. Yeah. That's just one example. Yeah. It's a big one. <laughs> um, yeah. And I feel like so much of that would be driven by the chair of the board. Um, so why that role is so critical, but mm. if, if it's not coming from the chair, mm -hmm. would you encourage um, just a regular quote unquote board member to maybe suggest that we do something like this as a board or that we spend some time mm -hmm. working through some of the more quote unquote human bits mm -hmm. of us as a team? Yeah. You know, what I would encourage someone that may feel that way, because mm -hmm. often the, the whole hierarchical, you know, bureaucracy of a board can make things, can overcomplicate things. Yeah. I would just ask that member, who are you here to serve? The mm -hmm. chair or that team and yeah. the wonderful people that this man and woman serves? Mm. Uh, 
I would expect for them to say, well, the latter. Yeah. Right. So yes, Hopefully. speak up. Yeah. yeah. Speak up. Yeah. Right. So, and you can do it in a manner that's not disrespectful to the chair. Absolutely. Right? You can say, Hey, I have a question. I don't understand or feel like the organization has the level of clarity that they need hmm. to guide this organization for the next two, five years. Because I've gotten several mixed messages from everyone on the team. Would you mind, Mr. or Ms. Chair, if we do a simple exercise around the clarity for the organization? Like, there's ways to do it, mm. uh, but you and, must do it. Yeah. And I think about what the chair would appear like to the others if if they turned around and said no to that question. They're <laughs> I mean, not going that, to say no. That, exactly. That would speak volumes yes. um, of that. Okay. Um but I wanted to shift gears now um, and change what we're talking about completely <laughs> and this idea of paying it forward uh, because this is a lot uh, to do with the bus story that you shared and um, I really will encourage anyone who's listening to go find that and watch it because uh, it is a beautiful thing. But I feel like it's so important um, for us in leadership positions, I think in general, um, but if we want to think about it in the boardroom uh, and I tie this conversation sort of in with the diversity in the boardroom conversation is um, in the past there's been less of a willingness to appoint first-time board members, um, especially as the organisations get larger and larger, boards more sophisticated, etc. But when I heard your bus story the first time, it made me realise that a lot of what I do with Get On Board Australia really is because of the paying it forward. I very early on in my career realised that without those people who took a chance on me that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't be talking to you. I wouldn't be doing the things that I'm doing. So I find it like you very closely aligned to, to what drives you. And so how, apart from appointing first time board members, or at least being willing to seek those out, how do you feel that leaders can, can pay it forward in their role and particularly in the boardroom, but just in general as well? Yeah, great question. There's a lot in that question. Um, mm. Maybe we can unpack a couple of pieces of it. Sure. Um, you know, Lisa, I, I believe that, um, you know, like like yourself, like everyone has a bus story inside, mm. like a moment that changed the course of their life where they felt seen, where they felt like, you know what, maybe someday my story will matter. And, you know, that moment gives us energy. Right? Yes. That was the, that was that was what that bus story did for me. So I believe that most leaders of organizations have a deeper, more personal, deeply personal reason that they're leading or they're building the organization that they that they need to. There's that untold story. It's like, mm. please tell that story. Mm. Right. So often it can be as simple as, hey, tell them that story because one of the things that uh, that leaders need to do is consistently ask themselves, what is it that my people want? And one of the things that I've learned is that what they really want from you is they want you to give them contribution. 
In other words, you have to give them something that they can contribute to. Yes. And absent of not telling them that story, they're going to make up their own narrative like they did for me for 10 years, and they won't know how to help you. And if they don't know how to contribute, then they're going to go somewhere else where they believe they can. Right. So it can be as simple as telling that story. Yes. Pay for that story to inspire, connect, and educate, and help them understand what you're trying to build so they can help you build it. And then outside of that, you know, the reality of it is, is, you know, we all have to ask our simple, a simple question. Am I choosing my impact? In other words, what's a part of the world that you want to make better. That's usually fueled from that moment. Your bus story. Yeah. Pick a lane. Like no, mm-hmm. isn't a four letter word. Yeah. Like say no to everything else and give this, I call it the triangle of love. Mm-hmm. Once you pick the lane, give it the time, energy, and money. And that's when you'll stop diluting the impact that you really want to make and get that fulfillment that you really want. So I love that. Um, I love that. Yeah. And, and anyone can do that at any level, anywhere. At any level. And it exactly. doesn't have to be this grand, like charitable foundation. No, the bus story, like, it was one man that made me feel seen. Yeah that changed the course of my life forever. Yeah. And it helped me create thousands of jobs and, and help so many other people off one kind act. Wow. That's all it took. Amazing. So Amazing. So was that what inspired your book, The Gift of Struggle? Uh, so yes and no. Um, you know, in that the bus moment, like I wanted to bring it to life. And that's why mm-hmm. I started my company, my community populist group. It was my vehicle to pay for that kind of. But for many years, you know, I'm a storyteller and I travel telling stories to kids born on the wrong side of the opportunity to outlet myself and military veterans. And through that journey, people kept asking me, hey, Bob, you got to write a book. You got to put that story and that lesson in, the, in a book. I'm like, nah, it's not my thing. Um, and finally someone that, uh, I really respected. I spoke after them at a, at, a, at an event and they told me to do it. I said, I have no idea how to do it. And finally, when I settled down, I said, you know what, I'm going to write the book that I wish someone would have written for me. Mm. And so I wrote it to give, and I have this mantra when I speak, I call it just one. You know what, if I write the book and it feel helps just one, yes. like that kind man that helped me, it's a massive success for me. Yeah. And I've been blessed beyond, you know, when anything I expected it, 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 it's definitely checked that box. So I'm pretty excited for it. Yeah. You just, um, don't know the ripple effect that those things can have. And yeah, that's amazing. Don't. That's amazing. Yeah, that's so. fantastic. So can you share the main thrust of your book? Yes. Um, so the gift of struggle, it's life-changing lessons about leading. Mm-hmm. Uh, I write, a handful of personal stories along with a lesson and some thought provoking questions at the end of each chapter. Uh, But the essence of the book is around my leadership philosophy that, uh, that I develop. And that is that we all struggle. Yep. Every struggle teaches us something. That's the gift Mm. and leadership is sharing those gifts with others. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll encourage people if, you know, if leading with compassion, generosity, authenticity, and creating something meaningful that's bigger 
than yourself. If that's important to you, then you know what? Consider buying a copy and reading it and applying the lessons. Absolutely. If that's not important to you, then you know what? Save your money and get something else. <laughs> uh, but I'm, find, I'm finding that you know, most leaders, uh, these really gritty you know, women and men of organizations, they have such a deep desire to uh, really help people. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's, it's helping many leaders. And I'm really grateful now that I did it. Yeah, awesome. So where could people find it if they're searching for your book? Uh, you know, it's major retail channels carry it, you know, Amazon, you know, in the, in the U S I don't know what the major one is in, in your beautiful country, but you know, Barnes and Nobles of the world out, out here. Uh, it was a very, uh, it had gotten to, uh, back when the world was traveling. You remember those days? Oh, vaguely. Uh, yes, it was, uh, it was doing incredibly well in the airports cause it's, uh, a very non-threatening, you know, small, uh, you know, read. So I was getting wonderful letters from people all over the world saying, I I picked it up in Atlanta. And before I got to LA, I read through it twice. And I was like, wow, thank you. You know, wow. Good, quick read. I love that. And where could people get in touch with you if they're looking to connect with you, Bobby? Uh, Well, I'm uh, best, you know, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. They can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, My website, bobby-herrera.com very active storytelling there, uh, putting out videos around leadership and struggle and helping transform that for the world. And uh, yeah, that's where uh, I do the majority of my storytelling activity outside of actual speaking engagements. Again, when the world used to do them. That's right. And we'll make sure all the links are in the show notes as well. But thank you so much for sharing your lessons, sharing your gift of struggle. I greatly appreciate your time, Bobby. Yeah, it's been a blast, Lisa. Uh, I'll help the underdogs. Keep doing good out there. (laughs) Thank you, sir. You too. You've reached the end of another episode of the Board Shorts podcast. Connect with us at getonboardaustralia.com.au forward slash podcast, where you can leave your requests for future guests and topics to cover. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to receive information and resources to help you thrive in the boardroom. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes or your preferred podcast listening app to subscribe, rate and leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.